The video starts kind of dark, if you can imagine it. And there's something metallic, and there's some shapely lines as it cuts through, and you just know immediately, like, it's sleek. And you realize it's a vehicle, and it looks like a fast vehicle. And the camera kind of pans around, and it's just flashing between different scenes, different angles of this vehicle. And you know, like, it's a new vehicle. I've never seen it when I saw this video. Like, it's the first time that I'd ever seen this video. And it looked radically different than anything I had seen before. Um, any car guys? There was Greg's in the room, I'm sure. Like, like I'm a car guy. Like, I, I like this. I like, I like where this is going. And it just, it keeps flashing in different things. And like, this car looks mean. And they start to tell you a little bit about it. Like, all, it's the first of its kind and all this stuff. Um, but then you see the badge on it. Like, that's a Hyundai. That's a Hyundai. Like, who hurt Hyundai? <laughs> that was actually the video. The, f- the first time that I saw it was actually um, not the original promotion or revealing of it, but someone had taken that video and then just added the meme at the end of it, who hurt Hyundai? <laughs> um, that's become a popular meme, and I'm usually pretty lost on pop culture, so I'm very proud of myself for knowing this one. Um, <laughs> But there's a popular meme, you've probably seen it, it says, who hurt you? But it's this question, like, who hurt you? Because um, the truth is, being hurt by someone can change you radically. Uh, Being hurt by someone can change you radically. And when I make that statement, being hurt by someone can change you radically, now the question is, who came to mind when I said that to you? Who came to mind when you thought of the fact that being hurt by someone can change you radically? So with that in mind, let's turn to Matthew chapter 18. As we continue this sermon series going through the book of Matthew, looking at the parables of Jesus, we'll pick up in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Um, We'll also be on the screen behind me, but Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 is going to start with giving us some context for the parable that we're about to engage in. Matthew 18, 21 starts, Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? Hmm. I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. And so, the rabbinic consensus of that day, we have this in historical writings, um, but in that day, the rabbis of the day would say, you should be a gracious person. And so, being a gracious person means you should forgive people three times. You should forgive people three times. If it happens a fourth, no forgiveness. But three times, be a gracious person, you should forgive. And so Peter comes to Jesus, and he's like, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister when they sin against me? As many as seven times? And so you can just imagine that moment. Peter's like trying to get the the gold star award here. He's like being super generous. And seven is this biblical number often used uh, for completion and perfection. And so he says, instead of three, like all the rabbis around here, like I hear you, Jesus, and like you're really big on this grace and mercy and all this stuff. So if my brother or sister sins against me, how many times should I forgive them? Seven. And Jesus counters, like, no, not seven, but 70 times seven. Like, what? <laughs> That's, that's a whole lot. Peter was being super generous with seven, but then Jesus changes it up. And what Jesus is doing is he's alluding to Genesis 4.24. And this is where Lamech, um, if you remember the, the early stories of scripture, Lamech has killed someone and Lamech makes this exclamation. He says, if Cain is to be avenged seven times over, then for Lamech, it will be 77 times. And so um, you recall that Cain, um, the, the descendant of Adam and Eve, um, he killed his brother Abel. And when he killed his brother Abel, the Lord comes and has this conversation with him, like, this is not good, man. You know, like, they're going to kill me, God. 
They're going to kill me. And so God puts a mark on him so that no one would kill him. Um, But God says that though Cain is absolutely guilty, anyone who kills him would suffer vengeance seven times over. And so Lamech, after also killing someone, he thinks back on what happened to Cain. He's like, well, man, if he deserved it sevenfold time for killing this guilty man, I'm so guilty that I deserve it 77 times. Like, this, this is so much more. His point is full and complete unending vengeance is what is due and called for. And so Jesus alludes to this, talking about forgiveness. And Jesus's point is to intentionally create this contrast and say full and complete unending forgiveness is necessary. Full and complete unending forgiveness. So Peter, thinking he's super generous, hey, how many times should I forgive someone who sinned against me? Seven times? I know they're all saying three, but should we go with seven? And Jesus is like, no. You don't stop forgiving. You never stop forgiving. That's, that's what it is to be in this kingdom. How? How can we do that? When I ask, who has hurt you? And that name, or those names come to mind. And then you hear Jesus say, you never stop forgiving. How? How can we do this? How can we continually offer this kind of forgiveness? And so Jesus then launches into this parable. Verse 23. It says, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants, When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. And Jesus starts saying, for this reason, meaning that This parable is about what the discussion at hand was. This parable is about forgiveness. Just on the heels of Jesus talking with Peter about how many times you're to forgive and saying, you never stop forgiving, he then says, for this reason, and he launches into this parable. He starts to tell a story about a servant who owes a king. He has taken a loan from a king, and so the king is the master, and the master has given him a loan apparently for 10,000 talents. And this this guy, the, the king, for whatever reason, decides, okay, it's time to start collecting. And he brings this servant before him. You need to pay. And the servant can't pay that. He has no ability to pay this debt. And so he falls to his knees and he's begging, please give me time and I'll pay it back. He can't pay it back. But he's asking for mercy. He's asking for grace here. Give me some time. And so what does the king think? Like, you know, we could, could sell him, sell his wife, sell his kids, sell everything he owns. Still going to be a huge loss, but I'll recover what I can out of him. But seeing the guy begging, seeing him down begging him, he's moved with compassion. He feels it inside of him, moved with compassion. He doesn't just say, okay, I'll give you a little bit of an extension here. 90 days, tighten up. No, moved with compassion, he tells the guy, you're forgiven. The loan, fully forgiven. You're free. He leaves there completely free, walks into the space owing 10,000 talents, walks out owing nothing. Because... Forgiveness. The king had compassion, forgave this whole debt. That's insane. Like, it'd be so shocking to hear of. So read what happens next, 28. That servant went out, and now imagine, like, what are your emotions like? Like, 
you go home today and the bank calls and you make the mistake of answering. And, and you're like, oh, oh what's this? And, and they're like, you owe blah, 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 blah. Like, yeah, I know. What's this? Like, did I not pay last month? I don't know. What's, what's happening? Did, it's direct draft. I don't know. Something happened. I'll talk to the bank. I'll... But they call you and they say, hey, you know how much you owe? You don't owe anything anymore. Like, you, you now own your home free and clear. And as you hang up, the phone starts ringing again, you answer it. It's the financial institution that has given you the loan for your card. Like, you know how much you own? I owe a lot. Well, you don't anymore. We're forgiving that. It's off the books. That's your car. Title's in the mail. What? And you and just go through the list of every debt in your life. Like, I want you to imagine that. Every single debt in your life. And then times that by a few thousand. Like, let's say by like 40,000. Imagine that's your debt load. And one by one, you get a phone call and every single one of them is fully forgiven. It's gone. You are debt free. You walk out of there feeling that kind of levity that you have not felt in so long since you were like eight years old when all of life was just play and I want that. Why why can't I have that? And everything is assumed. And now you're free. Like the servant walking out. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. So you have this repeated scenario here. Another servant owes a debt and so the servant who has been forgiven all of his debt goes and he finds this other servant who owes him. And so note the similarities. There's a debt that's owed that cannot be repaid for both of them. They had a debt that they could not repay. And there's a plea for time with a promise to repay. He even uses the same words. The both of them, in the face of the person who, who has given them this loan, demanding it payment, and they fall to their knees begging, give me some time, I'll pay it back. Give me this grace extension. Give me some time. I'll pay it back. I promise to repay what they cannot repay. They don't have the means to do this. And then note the differences. That this servant, who has been forgiven, now goes and finds someone who owes him, and it starts with a violent and ungracious choking and yelling. That he starts it with choking the guy, throttling him by the neck, pay what you owe, yelling at him. And then it ends with violence and no grace. As he is again, he's thrown into prison. And Jesus wants us to see this contrast and how the two respond. And then look what happens next in 31. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from his heart. Verse 35 hits hard. So also, the story has broke. Jesus now commenting. So also, 
my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Jesus brings the implication of this parable to bear on us. How can a servant that owes 10,000 talents repay what he owes while being tortured? So if this is what happens, you owe 10,000 talents, throw you in the dungeon and start torturing you. Torture him until he repays everything. How does someone who is being tortured make good on their debt? They don't. And that's precisely the point. And Jesus says this without balking, without flinching. This is what is true of the Father. If you can't forgive like you've been forgiven, this is what you should expect. Like what? That seems so counter, so contrary to what we know of this loving and gracious God. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't flinch because it's absolutely just and warranted. It does not conflict with God's attributes, including that God is love. And if that doesn't make sense to you, I, I really, for the sake of time, would really encourage you to go listen to last week's sermon where we talked extensively about this. But we have to accept that this is true. That Jesus is saying, you must forgive like this. So you imagine these two. So understanding the gravity or the absurdity of this unforgiving servant will help us because um, like, this, this has been lost on me, honestly, most of my life. Just how crazy this is. Like you read the story, you're like, yeah, that's pretty wild. Like one guy gets forgiven, like, whoa, how nice would that be? Like debt free, this is really cool. Didn't deserve that. That's grace, that's beautiful. Man, he's free. And then he goes and he starts choking this other guy who owes him another debt. Like he doesn't owe him, owe him as much. He's choking him, he's screaming at him. He throws him in prison. Like, man, what a hypocrite. Like, what? that's terrible. That's awful. But understand this. A talent is worth 6,000 denarii. You get that? How many talents does he owe? 10,000. And so one talent is worth 6,000 denarii. That means it's 20 years' wages for a laborer. A talent, now, doing the math, means that it's about 20, I'm sorry, 10,000 talents would be about 200,000 years of labor. So what does this guy owe that he is forgiven fully for? 200,000 years of labor. Like, no holidays. You work for 200,000 years and every single coin you earn, that's what you owe and you pay back. And that's what he is forgiven uh, Forbes says the average salary of a worker in this country uh, brings the math out that this is going to be equivalent to about $12 billion. So you think, I owe $12 billion. Would take me 200,000 years of working to pay this back with no breaks. $12 billion. And the person who has given you this loan says, you know what? It's gone. You're free. And you walk away from that and you find this guy. A denarius is a day's wage. 100 denarii would be 100 days' wages. You owe 200,000 years of uninterrupted working and you find a guy who owes you 100 days' worth of work and you grab him by the throat and start shaking him and say, where's my $16,400? How do you walk out of one building having been forgiven $12 billion 
um, there's all this new AI stuff. I tried to get it to generate like a visual and it just couldn't do it. $12 billion. And then you go wrap your hands around the throat of somebody who owes you 16400 You better pay up. It gets absolutely absurd what is happening in this story. How can we demonstrate mercy like this? How can we do it? It starts with what Jesus ends there. He says, So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. From your heart. The forgiveness needs to be this thing that comes from your heart. It's not from the lips. You may communicate it with your lips. You may communicate it with your actions. But it comes from your heart. I, Pastor Reggie called me, what did you say? I have a baby bird voice outside? We'll, we'll have words after this. Um, but with little ones, yes, little ones. Uh, my voice is weak, admittedly. And so I try to be very careful. Like, I actually limit how much I talk before I preach. Uh, like, I'll sing very quietly, not just because I'm a terrible singer, but also just trying to preserve my voice. It's just, it's just the voice that God has given me, and it keeps me humble, and that's a really good thing. Um, but my wife is so loving, and, and so lots of times she'll show up here a few hours after I've been here, and she'll bring me, like, a, a chai tea or something like that that will just help kind of soothe my throat and my voice and all this stuff. Um, one day, this was, this was some months ago, but she, she really loves fall, and so fall-flavored things are just her jam. Uh, so she shows up, and she's got this chai latte that she got from someplace. I don't even know. Uh, but she hands it to me, and I do not drink coffee. That's disgusting. It smells great, but it tastes awful. So I just know, like, she knows that. It's not coffee, but I assume it's a chai latte. And so I take a drink, and next thing you know, a few minutes later, I, I do nothing slowly. I'm done with it. And um, I, I finish it. And I, and I had a couple times where I thought, like, this just tastes strange. Like, it's just not normal. And... I get home hours later, and she's like, hey, did you like that apple chai latte? I was like, apple? Oh, it was apple. Like, I had no idea. I drank the whole thing and thought, this is a little strange. But I didn't take the time to actually taste it and really consider, what is this? What is this that I'm tasting that tastes so different than usual? I like it. I'm going to go with it. And so I drink it because functionally I need it. But it's when she says, did you like that apple? Like, it was apple. Huh. We can do the same thing with the forgiveness of God. That if you don't actually take the time to sit and let it, like, savor it, like, to think about the way that God has forgiven you, like, it is like owing 200,000 years of labor, and I only get, at best, about 78 years on this planet. It's not possible to pay this back. And yet he says, you are forgiven, Kevin. And you are forgiven. If I don't take the time to like that drink, to just sit in that, to realize the gravity of that, then I will never forgive from my heart. Do you have to actually sit in it? Savor it. Consider the gospel. This good news. That God loves us so much. He sent his son. His son, Jesus, who would come and live a sinless life and then he would die the death that you and I deserve. The ultimate sacrifice, like a lamb led to the slaughter. That he would bear all of our sin on himself and he would give us his righteousness. In this great exchange, 
the one that did not know sin, would become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. beauty, what majesty, that there's a God who loves us like that. <coughs> Talk about my voice. <coughs> he really does love us like that. And he has made a way through his son. Thank you so much, Ryan. <laughs> If God loves us, with that kind of grace and extends that kind of grace that he would forgive us in such a way that he would take the debt that we owe on himself. Like in the story, that was real money. That the guy, the guy who gave the loan out, that was his actual money that he took a risk in lending it out. That's why you need good credit and all those things because there's a risk involved in loaning out money. Real assets, real capital on his end have been extended and he is not getting it back. Do you know what that means? That he takes a loss, that he takes a hit, that it hurts him. And that is what Jesus has done. That in offering us forgiveness, he has said, I'll take the pain that is due on you on myself. You can't pay it back, but I can that he has loved us in that way, that this is the gospel, that we can have forgiveness of sins, that we can have life everlasting to be brought back into a right relationship with God himself, all through the work of the Son, that by the power of the Spirit and by the will of the Father, we have salvation. And so when you taste and see that the Lord is good in this way, when you consider this gospel and you see the absurdity of how much we have been forgiven and how that makes God so glorious, so great. As we see our sin and we see our Savior, it's like tasting and realizing, oh, it's apple. It's so good. And now from the heart, I can say, it's good. And it's good. And we can forgive from the heart. And that's how we can obey our commands in scripture like Colossians 3.13, when he says, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. I believe you need to hear that today. Consider every word of it. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. We've been forgiven by the Lord. And the Lord commands us to forgive in the same way that he has forgiven us. You can only do that when you have tasted, when you know. And it all comes down to this. When you've been shown mercy, show mercy. When you've been shown mercy, show mercy. But practically speaking, how do you get here? Because I know, you go back to that original question. People can hurt you in a way that really changes you. And you think about that person. And you hear the Lord saying things like, the way that I forgave you, you need to forgive. How? And it's like, I get it. I have to consider the gospel, but practically speaking, how do I do this? And there may be far more than this, but I think it comes down largely to understanding and practicing two things. First, you need to understand and practice prayer. And then you need to understand and practice forgiveness itself. And I think it's both of those things, that it's an understanding and a practice of these things. That is not as simple as one or the other. It's, it's both. It's the understanding. It's the sitting and savoring. It's the tasting and realizing, oh, it's apple. 
instead of just functionally, here we go. I didn't have one this morning, see? It's understanding. It's actually being in that. And so prayer, understanding and practicing prayer. Prayer is time communicating and communing with God. It's not just talking to him, though it is largely that, but it's also just being with him. It's enjoy. It's, it's actually, it's also listening. It's being with God as you pour your heart out and you sit in his presence or you stand or you walk or whatever because we pray without ceasing that you're just in a state of communion with God. And when you're in that, to continually behold the mercy of God for you. you know, the guy walking away from the one who had forgiven him that debt you imagine he's just like awestruck. It's, it's amazing, like the, the feeling, walking away from that. And he goes on, and then familiarity breeds boredom, that he just goes on. And it's so easy to forget that day when like, now I'm living this debt-free life, and like, I just keep going, and like, what am I gonna do today? I have so much more freedom and all this stuff, and it just becomes normal. But you know what would happen if one of those days where he has slipped back into what is just normal, if he turns the corner, and whoa, face to face, there's the guy who had forgiven him all that debt. You know the way that all those feelings would just, just surge back up in him? I remember that day. And I'll never forget those eyes. So I remember those eyes the day that you looked at me and you told me that it was all forgiven. That's what we do in prayer. You seek the face of God. And when you look into the face of God, when you consider the way he's revealed himself, how has he revealed himself fully, the full revelation of God in the Son, Jesus that in him we see the exact expression of him. You see Jesus and what he has done, one who came and said, I am gentle and lowly, humble in heart. But he did not come to condemn the world, but to offer forgiveness. You sit in that, you understand that, and you practice that, you pray, you spend that time with God in regular confession and thanksgiving. It's confession that we need to be mindful of the way that we are indebted to him. Remember what he has forgiven, that I was wretched and I still slip up in so many ways and thanks be to God who will deliver me from this body of death. But man, be mindful of the way that we have fallen short of the glory of God because when your sin is great, your savior is greater. And so we confess to him that yes, we are forgiven fully. Jesus died saying it is finished, past, present, and future sin. He has atoned for it all. And yet we continue in this ongoing heart posture of repentance, turning from sin and confessing our sin to the Lord and to each other. But in prayer, you confess. And it makes us mindful and we understand. And then we thank him that we live in gratitude you cannot help but when you see, like you, again, you come around the corner and you've fallen into familiarity and you see the guy who had forgiven you $12 billion and, oh, I'm undone. I remember what I owed you. I confess what I owed you. Man, I'm so thankful for you. You are so gracious. You're so good. Oh, man, I love you. And so you move in prayer from a place of confession to thanksgiving continually. And then that will affect our heart posture and from the heart, we can forgive. So it's prayer. And it's the actual practice of forgiveness. The practice of forgiveness. Now, what is forgiveness? What does it mean to even forgive? Um, in short, forgiveness is when you just stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offense, flaw, or mistake, 
And then you cancel any debt that is owed to you in light of that. You, you have to decide to stop something. And often that's more like a thousand decisions that happen over and over and over. But you decide to stop that. And it may take time for that wound to heal and it may never actually go away. And do you know that Jesus still has scars in his hands from the way that he forgave us? But we do this, we practice this. You take that retributive pain that is justly due on someone else and you say, I'll absorb that on myself. This is what forgiveness is. This is what Jesus did in forgiving us. The pain that was due for us and it was just, we justly deserved that punishment and he says, this is forgiveness, I'll take it on myself so that you don't have to bear it. So we practice that because as finite creatures, the resentment, the anger that we can harbor in our hearts for someone who has hurt us it never sits in neutral. It festers. And it's like a poison that grows inside of us. You need to do something with it. It will consume you. It will enslave you. Uh, I've been there. Where for a long time I would hold this grudge or just maybe say verbally I forgive you, but just still harbor that resentment in my heart. I think you probably know what I'm talking about. And maybe, if not for you, you've watched it. But you know what it's like for someone to just not be able to let go. And you watch as the two come in together in close proximity. The one, the one who won't forgive seems to suffer more than the one who did it. Like it's wild. It's not an option for us. We must forgive. Because freedom is found in forgiveness as much for you as it is for the person who needs to be forgiven. For us finite creatures, it's not an option. We must be people who have been forgiven and offer forgiveness. But let's be honest, neither of these things, prayer or forgiveness, comes easy. But they're both worthy and necessary endeavors. Um, there's something in economics called a J-curve. I'm not an economist. You don't want me doing your finances. I'll just tell you, save everything. I don't know. <laughs> just, but the J-curve is this idea that, like the shape of a J, Think capital J. You start here. You must go down first before you rise exponentially. And so this is, this is a common thing in finances, but it's also the way of Jesus. That there's a J-curve to almost every aspect of following Jesus. That like Jesus, Jesus died, went down, and then he rose in resurrection life and ascended to the throne. That we too, like we celebrate in baptism with Mike this morning, that we identify with him in death and we go down and then we come back in resurrection life, that we have risen to new life in Christ. And so in the same way that this is kind of the pattern for our lives, in so many ways, this happens on a daily basis for us as we take up our cross and follow Jesus. But in the way of prayer and forgiveness, it's just like that. That prayer often may start off great, you're like, you're here, but then you go through this like, whoa, <laughs> what just happened? You crash. And so, are my prayers just hitting the ceiling and bouncing back? Like, what is happening? Why does this seem to be of no consequence? Nothing is changing. I've been asking and I've been asking and, and nothing happened. It's just like death. Like, I'm seeking the face of God and why are you so far from me? Why have you turned away? And there's this experience that's real and felt and we should be honest about that, that often in prayer, it feels like that. It is first death. And Jesus says, persist. You continue in faith. You don't give up that faith. You believe and you continue on because guess what happens on the other side of death? 
his resurrection life. That you go through that death and then there's great power there. And again, God is not a vending machine. It's not like you just pay your due and he's owing you something. But this is the paradigm of Jesus. So we walk in that. And forgiveness is the same way that forgiveness often feels like death before it really feels like life. But you go through that. We must persevere in the way of Jesus. Death followed by resurrection life. God's gracious love for us resulted in the sending of Jesus to secure our forgiveness. That's for us. You have been shown mercy. And when you have been shown mercy, you should show mercy. This is the way of the kingdom because it is the way of the king. Can you believe this good news? Or will you share it? Let's be obedient. Pray with me as the band comes. Lord, you're so good to us. And you are worthy of all of our lives. And so guys, we talk about something that can be so incredibly difficult as we have been hurt in so many ways and we have hurt so many in so many ways. You call us to forgive. And that is really hard. And so would you make us people who slow down and really consider the way that we have been forgiven. Forgiven by you from a debt that we could never pay back. And then would you use that to empower us to forgive others and give us wisdom and where there still should be boundaries, where there still should be safeguards. God, would you give us the gift of freedom and forgiveness? Give us the power to do this, Spirit. We love you. Praise you. And we thank you for all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.